The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. The expression from the music inspired me so much to take risks, and it inspired damn near the whole rap game. Hello again, I'm Adam Unz. You may know me as the host of The Opus, and now I'm bringing my own show, The Spark Parade, to the Consequence Podcast Network. I speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity, whether it's music, books, movies, video games, or any other kind of art. I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail. I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here, Christ. It's, it's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Robers, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts. Boys and girls, it is episode 95 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnson from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. Last week we talked about tuning snares, and this time we're going to be talking about tuning your toms, and I'll even have some audio examples for you. Our featured artist this time is Near Z. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out the R-Tom Black Hole Practice System. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Okay, actually, you counted in. Yeah, I should count it okay, all. Okay, let's hear it. Three... Two, one. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It was spot on on online. <laughs> oh, my God. That's what you've been... No wonder why you always think we crush it. So you heard it, right? That sounded like an eighth note. Do it again. And three, two, one. Dude, yeah, it's, it's an eighth so note. It's so spot a on. Eighth note. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so now you know I'm not crazy when I'm always making fun of it. Oh, man, that's so weird. So, man, I don't know how we don't just feed back into nothingness. <laughs> so crazy. Uh, I can't believe it took us 95 episodes to try that. I've been counting us in, I've been counting us in like that for 95 episodes. And then today it finally like, clicks like, hey, why don't you count us in? Just so we like can see how off our snaps are. S- slightly swung eighth note. It was awesome. I did it. <laughs> to cat. <laughs> It's actually pretty much exactly how my gig was. One, two, oh, one, two, three, four. Like that. To cat. Uh, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. Yeah? Um, tired. I'm done tired. I had a, it's been like a lot of evening work. I had a session Tuesday night that went late. Mm. This whole nine to five thing, man. <laughs> it's good stuff. Tell you what. There's, uh, we've had a couple lessons where I had to work from noon until almost 1 p.m. Uh, and it's, it's, I, I, I feel you, man. I, I, it's, it's, I was like, wow, what's he talking? Oh, he's a jerk. I oh. get it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man. But I did want to, you know, I think it was like two weeks ago. I was, I was asking you about like hi hats and if they ever respond differently to you. Yeah. In different rooms. Yeah. That happened to me in this session. I luckily, I, I took four pairs of hi hats because three out of four sounded terrible in that room. Really? And these are like my, you know, my 18 Go-to. symbols. Yeah. 
It was so strange. I don't even know what it was. It was just some kind of mid-range trash. Did you thing. talk to them and like, guys, this is what we do. This is why yeah. we are here. What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> 14-inch new beats? What the heck? It was crazy, though. I mean, that was kind of the moral of the story was make sure, for me, to always carry a general purpose set of 14-inch hi-hats because mm. if when in doubt, those will be the ones. Yeah. For sure. And that's what it was. I was hoping I was going to use these like cool 15s, these old thin ones. And it was like just weird. I think it was also a combination of the hi-hat stand because I was using one of those flat base stands. Okay. Just not giving me enough tension between the cymbals. Oh, man. I've had that where like you just can't press down hard enough. They're mushy yeah, nonstop. Exactly. Isn't that weird? You feel like the stand bottoms out, but you're like, no, I can see it's got room to go. Yeah. Exactly, and I was pushing so hard that the clutch was coming undone. I'm like, something is just not right here. I don't get it. Wow, it, and that's a very real thing. I have the opposite problem happen to me. We've talked about it a little bit, but on clinics, since I'm a DW hardware artist, they just assume I'm going to want the 9000, and that one has so much pressure and so much leverage behind it that I flip the hi-hats inside out during a clinic, oh, wow. Yeah, which I've done quite <laughs> a few times. And uh, I'm like, all right, uh, crowd, I'm going to step on these real quick. Don't freak out. They're going to be fine. (laughs) Store stock. It's going to be all right. Uh, You can buy these for a discount after I stomp on them and flip them back back into shape. Um, But yeah, so I have experienced what you have where it's like, okay, is this thing bottomed out? Like, why am I not getting anything out of this? Yeah, I think I have have to, you know, sacrifice my back in order to have a hi-hat stand that's a little bit more stable because I was trying to go super lightweight everything is as light as I possibly can get but the hi-hat's just not working I right. need I need just one step up I need gotcha. I don't I don't want to feel like I'm it must be something with the mass of the metal I don't know it was so weird because I mean it wasn't like I wasn't pushing the symbols together right. they were just sloshy something was wasn't right close. that's so funny <laughs> that's crazy man it's kind of strange I've been through yeah. that hey, I have a, a deep question for you uh-uh. You ready to go deep? Now, we can cut this whole thing out. Um, <laughs> so do you know about what happened to Le- LeBron James yesterday? Yes. Okay. So hate speech written on his gate is Brentwood home. Yeah. Um, yeah. My thought was, you know, now he has to explain to his kids what this mm. is, you know, especially yeah. if they've grown up as wealthy kids in California. This really might be their first time dealing with it. I was wondering, as it relates to us, do you think that – the lack of, I guess, um, prejudice and the lack of uh, those type of views comes from being involved in music at an early age because all of our idols were everything. They were men, women, Hispanic, black, white. They just could play, and that's why you looked up to them. And then as soon as you got in your first jazz quartet, it was female piano player or female bass player and then Hispanic, you know. And you just, I think you just, I, I don't know. I mean, you grew up on the East Coast, so at least as a California kid, I was just thinking, like, how is this stuff still around? I mean, is it just that people aren't exposed to different cultures at an early age? I mean, I this was one of the things I talked about when I met with the guys at Philly Drum Project a couple of weeks ago. I think if if every child – this is what breaks my heart about getting rid of arts and, and stuff in public school. Right. If every child is is required to explore arts and and whether it's music or photography or whatever, you learn to be an empathetic, compassionate person. You learn from other cultures. You learn to respect. You know, you learn to to accept the fact that you're going to be challenged on a you know a daily basis. You're right. not always going to be you know question whether you're the one that's always right. I think 
So yeah, I think so. I think just being absorbed, just being thrust into music, and because my school was not diverse. I mean, it was ninety nine percent Caucasian. Sure. Um, but you know, we were learning Duke Ellington music. We were learning. That, yeah, you know, mine was too. I mean, I grew up in a California suburb area, and <clears throat> where it was not diverse. But I did. The thing is, I found the diversity in the band room. That's yeah. where the diversity was, and. There was never, you know, with athletics, I was, I was talking to my wife, Amber, about this, uh, about how athletics, they have these code words for like a white running back, like, oh, high motor, high motor, just, <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, and right. it's like, oh, you mean he <laughs> happens to be athletic? Um, and so, <laughs> so anyway, so I would, but in the music world, we just didn't have that. You were just either good or you weren't. And I, yeah. when I look back on my childhood, my parents, who are very open-minded, they never, ever had to sit me down and say, just so you know, everyone's created equal. Like, it was never pushed on me, but I also yeah. started playing music when I was five. And so I was kind of looking back, trying to think, why are those views not there for me? Instead of me trying to suppress them and say, oh, I'm better than that. It's like they're just not there in the first place. And all I could do is trace it back to music. And I just thought, how are we not like you said, without being forcible, putting children into arts programs right away is like, look, this isn't because we need you to get better grades or you're going to go to a better college. This is for humanity's sake. Yeah. You just all of a sudden, you know, when you, let's say that it's photography, it's like, it's a great picture. It would never enter into your mind. Did a guy take it? Did a girl take it? Yeah. What color yeah. were they? It's where like, are they from? Where yeah, are they I mean, from? <laughs> what do they believe? What's their religion? It's like, I don't know. It's a killer picture. And it, and it teaches you just to respect everybody. And then what you and I went through as teens is we found world music that was like, okay, this is, from my perspective, this is cooler at the moment than what I'm listening to. Now I'm appreciating this culture rather yeah. than looking down on it. Like, you know. Um, and I'm also wondering, where does this music come from? Maybe uh, if I'm looking at Brazilian music, I'm thinking, what is their socioeconomic status that is create? Why are they creating this music? You know, um, and yeah. and appreciating it rather than looking down on it. So, uh, food yeah, for I thought, and take yeah. that. I mean, it, it's 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 not surprising that he would still have to deal with that type of an issue. But at the same time, it's it's like that's. Isn't that the easiest way to attack him <laughs> racially? <laughs> you know? yeah, it's it's, it's a little, little bit of low hanging fruit. <laughs> it's like, really, dude? Are we still I doing mean, skin color? Really? I don't know what you're trying to do. Are you trying to derail him because you, you know you're afraid he's going to win the finals again? I mean, it's like <laughs> I just don't understand. I mean, it, again, it's it's nothing to joke about. It's no, a no, 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 no. It's very but, serious. It's but I, I, I'm kind of the same way. Like even when I see see that word i'm like why why are we why does that even what is it why right. are we using that word what is its relevancy i mean it's right you know there's a dark history in this country with all that so it of course it, it's really tough but yeah i think you're spot on i think it the more we have children interacting with people from different cultures and mostly just exploring creativity i don't know how you can possibly hold on to those views i mean that's exactly i think I that's my point of this is music is what allows us to be open-minded because and i think it just comes from a young age i mean i honestly when you're seven do you even know that dennis is black i mean he's just bad the dude is yeah. bad like it, it's, yeah exactly it's not occurring to me to compare him to buddy rich based off of skin tone it's just 
one of those things where it's like, well, that I love that dude. And then I like this guy and I like this girl, you yeah. know, and um, I mean, and I went through the opposite. I had culture envy more coming up. Oh, like, yeah. man, I wish I was born in Cuba or man, I wish I was born in Ghana and got to play drums since I was right. able to walk. I mean, yeah. I had more of that. It was more like I saw what they their culture, how they embrace music and art and rhythm. And For sure. Like, man, I I had to discover it at such a late age, really, yeah. relatively speaking. You see like man. things in Brazil and you think like, oh, is that is that carnival? And they're like, no, that's Wednesday. Yeah. You're like, wait, yeah. that's your street? That's your and neighborhood? That, like, that, that I want to live there. That, that guy that you think is you know, probably a full-time drummer, he's an accountant or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I learned that at the uh, Zakir Hussain concert, where all the aunties and uncles from India sitting around me were clapping in, like, 11, and I couldn't find the one. And I was like... <laughs> I have a feeling you guys aren't even musicians and you're just really good at this. So, all right. Well, let's talk yeah. about something that has nothing to do with anything too serious, but it's serious to every drummer that's ever played. And that is tuning. We talked last week about tuning your snare drum. We went through a bunch of different varieties there and different approaches. And now we're going to talk about a different animal altogether, which is your toms. Tuning your toms can be, I think, frustrating for all of us. But if you're like Mike and myself, it's also a, an adventure. And you, you actually start to fall in love with it and you can't wait. Yep. I mean, I'm 35 years deep into this adventure. And I still today, when I was making that recording for you, I was still discovering things. And I was like, yep. oh, that's what does that. Uh, so do you have any hard and fast rules when it comes to tuning your personal toms? Uh no, the only rule is there is no rule other than get to know your drums as yep. best as you can. Because I, I have some drums that, that only sound good if the bottom head is a little bit higher, and I have some drums that really kind of come to life if the bottom head is lower. But I always start with both heads exactly the same, just to kind of get a a ground, you know, a, a, a control. You know, what is sure. what is what does a C on this 13-inch tom sound like with both heads exact same pitch? Yeah. And generally, it's... If I feel like the sustain isn't quite, you know, opening up like I want, then the bottom head will come up a little bit. Sure. It, maybe the, the shell isn't resonating as much as it should, something. But yeah, usually most cases, exactly the same top and bottom modify, you know, as, as needed. Yeah, drum. that's definitely the starting place. Now, before we get more into like our personal approaches, do you have, can you think in your mind of a drummer where you go, that's a, that's a rack tom to me? Like when I hear that guy play or that girl play, that's a rack tom to me. There's a, I mean, I think I think that guy's in Nashville. I've okay. really dialed it in. So if I think of like what would be like a big classic drum sound, I think of Chris McHugh's toms. Yep. Um, if I think kind of so, a more precise sound, it'd be near Z, who we're going to talk about later. But yeah, I think the Nashville stuff is still kind of like I'm chasing that. Like, can I get that and then modify it? Because that seems like it's just like the perfect drum sound. Right. Now, can and I then achieve that? <laughs> our extremes would probably be maybe Jack DeJanet on one side and maybe Phil Collins on the other side. Just Yeah. Yeah. You know. Or like uh, Dale Crover as being like everything okay. sounds like a floor tom or something. Yeah. Or, or or Dave Grohl. Right. <laughs> Where it's like, uh, I don't know, rack tom, floor tom, tom. It's just Which a drum. I still love that sound too, but it's, it's a different yeah. sound. Yeah. It's crazy how many shapes that your toms can take. I think about... Brian Blade playing with uh, Joshua Redman on his bop kit. And then I think about him playing with um, Trixie Whitley and Daniel Lenoir in Black Dub. And yeah. it's, you know, and it's still Brian Blade, but, and it still sounds, both of them sound like Brian Blade. And, yeah. uh, you know, and, and, and now we've got like all the people that mix it up where is it a tom? Is it a snare? 
Is that yeah. sympathetic snare buzz, or is that actually a snare drum with the snares really loose? I can't tell. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's so when it comes to what do you think you get out of the two other ranges? Let's say that we start our toms dead even. All right, top head and bottom head are the same. What are you going for when you change the bottom head? That's a good question. So I um, I think of the top head as being more of the feel, and the bottom head being kind of more of the pitch. So agreed. I kind of. You know, if if I like the way the top head feels, but the pitch is maybe not high enough, then I'll just bring out the bottom head. Okay. Uh, I feel like it kind of pushes the sound back at me more too. So yeah. it's, I think it's a more pleasurable experience to play with the bottom head a little bit tighter. If the drum's not tuned super high, it's kind right. Of, you know, one gives you more, and then when you go lower, it just sinks in and has that gushy feeling. So yeah, and it kind of goes out away from you. Since we're talking about changing the bottom head, let's listen to some audio. So I made a recording this morning. And all I did was I had my 12-inch rack tom. Uh, I have single-ply coated head on top and single-ply clear head on bottom. And I started at 235 hertz, medium tuning range, maybe a little bit high for some people, but medium for myself. And then all I did was change the bottom head. I I kept them exactly the same. Then I went higher. Then I went lower. And... um, yeah, and, and I just held the drum. I turned all my snares off and held the drum kind of near my overhead microphone. So let's give it a listen. All right, guys, so this is my Gretsch Broadcaster 12 by 8 inch rack tom. This is a maple, poplar, maple, three-ply shell. And we're going to start off with both heads being tuned exactly the same. Both heads are tuned to 235 hertz on the tune bot. Keep the top head at 235 hertz, and we're going to crank up the bottom head to 275 hertz. All right, this time the top head will stay at 235 like it has been, and we're going to drop the bottom head to 200 hertz. All right, so now you guys can hear how much that bottom head controls everything. And one thing that I think you have to keep in mind is all of them were in tune. You know, we, I used the tune bot. So the drum was in tune. That's why you never got that weird growl, even when I tuned the bottom head lower. So you were saying while we were listening to that behind the scenes that the bottom head is, that's your jam. Bottom head lower, sorry. Yeah, on that particular drum. And it opens that up, right? tuning, yeah, it just felt like it was, you know, it didn't give me the pitch bend that I expected, it actually made it a little bit more pure sounding. I agree. I yeah. You know, the, with the bottom head tighter, you could definitely hear the pitch bend, which I tend to not really like too much of that. Right. Like a pure um, sound. Yeah. I just like a, a note and kind of get out of the way. I don't want it to kind of change midway through. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I thought the bottom lower and I, and you said two thirty five, So I think that's a fundamental somewhere around B flat, which that's a 12 inch Tom you said. Yep. Yeah. So that's, that might be, medium high for me but that's still within the range of where i would usually go usually right. from like c down to g on my 12 gotcha yes yeah, so that's right in the right in the spot where i would put it yeah so that that made me want to mess around with lower bottom head a little bit more yeah i usually well, only do that on floor toms because i i kind of want the floor toms to be punchier and kind of hit and not bloom back up towards me right but yeah that sounded nice on that 12 yeah that cool. i mean it yeah like i said 35 years in and i I had my own revelation this morning i was just doing how many yeah how many times you ever done that in your career like the bottom head lower probably not many right no never 
uh, <laughs> ever because it's wrong in my in my stupid little head. And it's like all I have to do is record the dang thing. Why am I getting so mad? <laughs> all I have to do is record it and listen. It, it took you how many years to do that? Uh, 35. <laughs> 35 total. Yeah. So three decades, 3.5 decades. Let's, let's keep bringing that up. So, yeah. So um, now, in, in all honesty, for the way I play, that's actually – I still wouldn't tune that way. But if I was recording – and I was trying to get that rack tom sound. Then that's that's that drum does that. That's where it needs to be. Um, but it probably didn't feel very satisfying. That would be no, my guess. No, it didn't. Um, I didn't. Yeah. It, it gave me nothing. It kind of stole my stick rebound. Um, mm. And then the other thing is, it the microphone heard something that I didn't hear. Um, I, I it's not like I hit it. The reason why I've probably never done that is because my ear didn't hear it that way. So I, yeah. I, I'm sure I've done that many times as a kid and been like, okay, that doesn't work. But I didn't record it and then listen back to it. So mm. that was really the key for this this setup. So, but the, I think the other thing that's really important is for those of you that have it that always mess around with tuning, but you're always messing around with the top head. You don't need to get the top head at a place like Mike said where it feels good to you. Uh, yeah. And you're in the general pitch range, but it feels really good when you hit it and then mess with the bottom head because I never touched the top head. It was always at 235 hertz. Uh, and then yep. I was just raising and, and dropping the bottom head. So I've definitely done tests um, years ago with like, does, do, do both heads have to be perfectly in tune? Like, mm. do each tension log have to be perfectly matched? So, what I found was the bottom head was more important to actually be in tune with itself than the top head. Like I even went Agreed. so far as just totally randomly tune the top head, get it to a a note that sounded okay, but nothing was pitch matched, and okay. then pay careful attention to the bottom head. It still sounded like a pure tom. Really? So the bottom head is, I think, ninety nine percent of it. Really, ultimately, I agree. I've always <clears throat> my students ask a lot of times, especially when they're somewhat new and they're thinking, you know, if, let's say that you're new to drums. And you have a guitar player buddy and your guitar player buddy changes strings every three weeks. You think like, well, should I change my heads every three weeks? And so and no, you shouldn't um, (laughs) unless unless for some reason you're very anal about stick marks. But so they'll they'll ask, when should I change the bottom heads? Because I'm always changing my top heads. And it's like, oh, well, one, you can kind of hear it. Eventually that mylar just has nothing left to give. But. If you're one of those people that throws your drums into the car without cases and you're denting that bottom head, as soon as that bottom head is messed up a little bit, it's game over. You have to change it. Uh, yeah. The bottom head controls everything. And I mean, that's, you know, I guess uh, drum clinician 101 in any tuning question is you you hit the drum, give it, you know, and it rings out through the whole place. And then you just take the tuning key and you take out one bottom tension rod out of your rack tom and the whole thing's toast. It goes, bow. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, I didn't touch the top. And then they go, no way. Wait, the bottom head matters? I'm like, yeah, it really does. It's called the rezo head for a reason. It resonates. Yeah. And uh, I think that's why a lot of, um, I think the drum doctor, he always talks about tuning the bottom head lower. I think that I think it's a studio hmm. preferred sound. Yeah, my microphone loved it. Yeah, I don't, I don't think playing live in a room, it would be the best sound. And I don't think... As a player without headphones on and microphones involved, it right. probably wouldn't be the best sound. But it seems like that records really well, and it's, I don't use it enough. So no, it's funny. I'll uh, be a little extra transparent. There was actually four recordings. There was the three, and then which I just showed you guys, and then the fourth one. 
I even recorded the voiceover for it. I was like, all right, guys, now we're going to listen to my preferred tuning setting. This is top head at 235 <laughs> and bottom head slightly tighter at 250. And when I listened back to it, I was like, hell no, I'm not showing them oh, that. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> it was like the worst one. <laughs> but it's the best one out there in the feel and like my ears yeah. hearing it. But uh, so, yeah, it was, it was like, yeah, and delete. <laughs> Well, I mean, the moral of the story is you can't just trust your, you know, your gut and, right. and your old habits. And right. you have to have some kind of, you know, I think especially now that recording gear is so cheap and easy, everyone should just be experimenting. Totally. But, you know, it's, I mean, it's the caveat is not going to sound the same in the room as it sounds under a microphone. It's like, right. what are you playing exactly. for? And everything I just did would change if I just moved my drums even into a different room in this building. If I just moved it to my private yeah. lesson room, everything would change. So it's really, I think, the most important thing when it comes to snare tuning, bass drum tuning, rack tom tuning, or tom tuning in general is understand what they do so that when your situation presents itself, you know, okay, you guys want me to get that tone out of the way a little faster? Let me, let me do this. And, uh, my toms aren't cutting through or they're cutting through too much. Let me back off that bottom head and we'll just get that flappy Nashville sound. So as long as you know what they do, then you, you do that for the room, you know? Um, I mean, right now I wish I had like a pop session coming up today. Because I would not, I would have my rack tom on that third tuning, and I just know the producer would be like, "Dang, you been watching that Aaron Sterling video?" I'm like, no. Well, yeah, I have, but that's not why I did this. I, I did an experiment, and it worked out really well. So, so guys, get in a room and start messing around with your toms, and if you can. Like Mike said, I mean, with the technology we have, it's really just not that expensive to have one microphone going into an interface into your laptop just to do some tests and yeah. see see how it works. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. So, all right, well, let's get into our featured artist. This guy has no issue with tuning. The artist Near Z. Is Near Z from Israel? He is. Yep, born in Israel. Nice. But uh, and, and where's where's he located now? Is he in New York or LA? He's in Nashville. Nashville, of course, he is. Yeah, yeah. He moved down there. I want to say eight years ago. Okay, maybe. Um, but he he was in New York for a long time, and that's when I I met him. Actually, no, I met him in a Nam show. He was, you know, he's he, he's a restless guy. He's never he never sits still for a long time. He was doing sample libraries for TuneTrack, the wow the software. Yeah, company. of course. Like one of the early versions. So he was he was like on the the forefront of that with them so he was um he was going to new york studios so they were going to like historic new york studios and doing drum samples there so they did Jeez. avatar they did the hit factory and another one i can't remember bearsville maybe wow uh 
I think it was, yeah, something up in Woodstock. So he was the drummer that did all the drum samples for those superior drummer libraries, and they're sound amazing. So I met him at a NAM show. He was in the Tune Track booth playing an electronic kit. And no way. And hearing these, like, insane drum sounds. Like, that is not that is not the sounds in that module of that kit you're using. Like, right. what is going on? So we just kind of connected because we're both kind of techie, nerdy drummer types and we just hung out but then I went to visit his studio him in a studio in Brooklyn and got to sit in you know he did I took a song that I was recording at home and had him do a take on it <laughs> just no so way. I could hear what he would do oh. uh, and of course you know after he you know he recorded it hit the space bar we listened to it and then he deleted it <laughs> oh no I was going to say have you studied it a million times that'd be so no, awesome no no it was like nah, you can't have that Oh, that's but I mean, what a cool experience! Yeah, and it happened again. So he's kind of been—I mean, I don't know if he even realizes it—but he's been like a mentor to me for the past ten years or so because really? we've, we've become really good, you know, good friends. Because I've interviewed, interviewed him for the magazine, and we've hung out when he lived in New York and and at Nam and stuff. But at the same time, I'm always you know picking his brain. He's he's calling me, asking me questions about gear because he knows I'm always checking out all the the new gear right and then i'm always squeezing in a question about like oh how do you do this or how do you do that <laughs> so, <laughs> at one point yeah. i tried to convince him to become my official teacher but nah, that really happened yet. now does he I, I was just gonna ask that does he teach does he take no, on private no, students no. okay no, i, I just, wouldn't imagine he even has time yeah he's too busy he's got a, stu- a great studio in nashville that i've got to go down and check out but yeah so even recently uh we probably should go through his his history a little bit so he's born in in jerusalem uh moved to new york was on john mayer's album room for squares that was the first time i heard him and i just 2001 i thought that that was um when i first heard it because john mayer that's early that's i don't know if that's john mayer's first album or second album but um it's early on okay so i thought that was matt chamberlain because Mm -hmm. it sounded so much like what matt had done with uh Wallflowers that I, you know, uh, I just thought like, yeah. oh, this has got to be a Matt Chamberlain thing, and then I was like, who the hell is near Z? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I, and yeah, so that was like, and then, well, you'll talk about it, but then the other things he did, I was like, oh my gosh, this guy's got the gigs. Yeah, yep. So he was he was a pretty young buck when he was on that record. Then he was on um, Chris Cornell's second solo album, Carry On. So I mean, he went from pop to pretty hard rock. He was, um, gosh, he was in he was in um, Genesis for a while. Yeah, that's that's I remember. That's when I was like, what? Because I mean, I'm the <laughs> I'm the Phil Collins freak, you know. So he was 1997. Yeah, calling all stations. He was on that record and then toured with them in 1998. Yeah, Josh Stone, crazy. Jason Mraz. Yeah, uh, I mean the guy's just done so much, and I would assume just like. Um, Matt Chamberlain and, and Josh Freeze and Aaron Sterling, Wikipedia is not going to have any clue what he's actually doing. You know, as far as there's yeah. a million things that will never be listed. These are just his giant hits that would allow everyone to connect. But I mean, the guy also it doesn't uh, it doesn't help that his he goes by Near Z, but his last name is, is oh. something that gets misspelled all the time. So okay. at one point, I remember he was complaining to me about AllMusic.com just like having his credits completely screwed. Really? Up. How do you even say Z Zid? Kayahu? Yeah, let's go with it. <laughs> Wait, no, I got Ziddy Kaya. Yep. Zid Kayahu. So I don't know. You know what? I've never Z. actually asked him. Yeah, so Z. that's why he's near Z. <laughs> Makes sense. Makes um, 
But I mean, he moved when he moved to Nashville. He ended up, you know, he's he's now on top records. So he's on Trace Atkins' new record. He's on Dan and Shay. He's on Blake Shelton. I think is kind of his, you know, the biggest one. Okay. Which I I highly recommend that record. Bringing back the sunshine from a few years ago. Blake Shelton. There's some clinic studio drummer stuff on there. Um. So yeah, now he's in Nashville, kicking it, kicking it down there. Um, and did you say he has his own studio? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, it's. I haven't been there, but I've seen pictures, and it's the one in Brooklyn was was awesome. But it, you know, it's, it's Brooklyn, so it's smaller, kind of a sure setup. This I think is a converted garage or something of that okay. sort. And that's where he's tracking stuff for other people. Yeah, wow. as well as going to you know the big sure. studios in town. Um, yeah, he's he's great. I I um, every time I hear a track he's on, I'm studying. And I found if you want to see him live, uh, he did a one of those CMT Crossroads shows. It was John Legend and Leanne Womack. Okay. And he's in the band, the backing band. Got it. I just found it online. So you can go to cmt.com and full episodes, you'll find it. It's, the, you know, you got to see the guy play it also, kind of get the gra- how intense and deliberate and musical at the same time he deliberate's is. Deliberate's a good uh, word. He's, every note has a, an extreme amount of purpose. Um, yeah. He's got patience too. Um, yeah, A lot exactly. of patience. I mean, that's one thing I really like about watching even his solo stuff is that he'll really sit on a theme for a while and understand that if i sit on this theme long enough one added accent will be the fill will be the lick and the chop yeah. just because you got so yeah, used exactly. to it so <clears throat> he's a great storyteller um I've, yeah. I've never had the chance to meet him but i was in a band that was from new york um uh they were in, in New York. They were called Splendor Pop Band. And I think Nier was either either did some session work for them or he was going to be their new drummer. And then, anyways, the singer disbanded the band and he moved to California. And we started a project together. And so I was always getting these Nier Z stories, what it was like to work with <laughs> Nier. And, uh, you know, and I'm like, dude, you're not making me feel any better. I'm trying my best. <laughs> I really am trying to be precise and flawless. But... You know, uh, and uh, yeah. he's like, "Well, you know, when we do this stuff with with Nier, and I'm like, then just go back to New York and record with Nier, okay? <laughs> I'm doing my best. I've got 86 lessons a week. I'm a little worn out. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's yeah, he's legendary. It's, it's humbling. It's humbling to you know, you listen to him on a record, you think, okay, they spend a lot of time making sure all of his snare snare hits are consistent and yeah. accurate and compression and all these tricks. Right. But then you see the guy play. I was gonna say, you watch that, a video, yeah, that, and then I. Uh, I was down in Nashville to do the, I think it was the CMT Award Festival. I don't remember what it was. I played a, a show, an outdoor show, and he was on the band before me, I think. Oh, great. So I got to watch him play the exact same kit that I was going to play. Oh, and, boy. And it's like, oh, okay, that's all in his hands. That sound, that's perfectly sampled bass drum and perfectly <laughs> sampled snare drum. He got it live, you know, wow. on, a, on, a, on one of those, like, those those aluminum stages where everyone sounds terrible oh, but he yeah. didn't. <laughs> you know? Oh man, that's what a cool experience though. I mean, and even just to have him at your place and to see him play your drums and just yeah. to be, you know, feet away from him. I mean, I was when you were telling that story, I was just thinking, man, you've got so many cool experiences in your life. I remember you telling us about you going to interview Steve Jordan and you got to play a snare and then he played oh, it yeah. and you know yeah. things like that where it's Steve like Gad, same thing yeah yeah so cool man well uh, here's just, here's the the heartbreaking story near near just recently replaced me on a track <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome what a and badge then, of know, honor good job Mike I, but you know I was the one that gave him the number I was like you know what if you want near Z here's his number call him 
you know, make it happen. And they're like, yeah, we will. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, you don't have. I mean, <sighs> what have you heard the track with him on it? Yeah, I heard the raw, the raw take. I mean, the guy was, you know, he was, he was real polite. He's like, you know, I don't want to. I just want you to be cool with it. I'm like, absolutely. Because what happened was I had recorded the drums when there was no track to speak of. It was like a rough acoustic guitar and a okay. vocal. So when it got to the final mix, it just felt like there wasn't enough interaction or something like that. Right, because you had what, what you had nothing to interact with. Yeah, there was nothing there. And so he was like, you know, I want to try somebody else. I'm like, go for it, man. Use yeah. Nier. Use somebody that you know is going to bring it to the next level. And I also wanted to hear what he did with it because it was a pretty straightforward song. Right. Uh, there wasn't like a lot of obvious things to step out and do drummer things. Right. Um, so I heard the, you know, the raw version and there was... He, he definitely played the song, but there were little things, little details that just sh- that showcased how amazing he is. Like he he feathers the hi hat during the verse in a way that's like almost inaudible. Wow. It almost sounds like he's just using the pedal. Really. Uh, so then when he comes in with a hi hat, you're like ah, there's that voice. It's there for the chorus because the song doesn't have any ride symbol in it. It's just hi hat. Okay. Yeah. So, so you he have found to... contrast by right. by feathering like whisper quiet on the on the verses wow he does a lot of quick bass drum stutter things to kind of lead into the next section as opposed mm-hmm. to like big fills yeah things that that i'm not confident enough to do and feel like it's not going to feel hokey or out of time yeah well and that's that comes back to that thing i'm saying about him just having patience like he knows that if he keeps the consistency then a couple extra bass notes that is the fill that's yeah, the lick, exact chop, and know? it's like a little thirty second note that just like jumps in. Like, what the heck was that? But it's like awesome you when know? he does it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny man when you do things with confidence rather than like, hey, do you like this? Yeah, it's like when you do it with confidence, everybody buys in. They're like, oh, that was so dope. But you know, that's just how it goes. Well, guys, check out Near Z. You can find him literally just type him into Google because that way you'll find videos of him. You'll find his Facebook page. You'll find a little bit of everything. But um, he's now a uh, sonar artist, which is why we brought it up because he's featured in a full page ad and for the new SQ1 kit that I hope we get to check out soon. Mm. He's now playing sonar, sonar Sabian, Evans, innovative percussion. Beautiful, love it. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's talk about some. Uh, some fun gear so we brought this up a little while ago i think maybe it was even a pick of the week for you a while back but this is the rtom black hole practice system and you got a chance to actually demo it out and play it and everything so Mm -hmm. give everybody just a little rundown on what this is so this is rtom is the company that makes moon gel so they're you know they've been in the industry and we've all used their stuff uh now they made this device it's essentially a black mesh head with a fabric dot glued in the middle, kind of like a black dot size for a black dot head. And then it has a rubber um, hoop that the mesh head kind of goes, that it goes around the, the edge of the mesh head. So it has like a rim, like a, like a it feels like a drum rim. You are crushing this description. <laughs> I know, it's so bad, isn't it? Let me start over. <laughs> no, it's so just awesome, because I'm it's looking hard to at describe. it and I'm like, yeah, you're, you're nailing it, but I don't know how I would describe this to somebody if they couldn't see it right now. <laughs> It's a mesh drum head on a rubber hoop that goes over top of your existing drum head. You don't have to remove anything. It okay. just snaps onto it. goes in between the tension rod heads and the hoop itself, the uh, the triple flange hoop. So it stays in place on it by its own, just by the tension of snapping it in between the tension rod head and the existing drum hoop. Wow, okay. Uh, that said, the bass drum needs to have claws that stretch across to the front to hold it in place. But you still no- don't remove your bass drum head. 
you don't change your drum kit at all. So the whole thing could be installed in, in 30 seconds if you're okay. quick. Perfect. Um, you don't have to change your tuning. You don't have to do anything. So it's not like taking the drum head off and putting a mesh head on and then now your drum is a practice drum only. This right. You can immediately go from playing the full drums to practicing. And you can tune it. So I did do a little bit of that to kind of get the feel of it to match the size of the drum a little bit better. Um, the cool part is it actually lets some tone ring through. So right. uh, in this demo, we'll probably should just check it out now. This is It's kind of funny. You're going to hear audio of me playing on practice mutes. But, but there is tone. There is tone. And I did crank the, the volume probably 20 decibels. So what you're hearing, which has been normalized... It was like 20 decibels quieter than what it is. Wow. Let's check it out. So I will say that those were quieter than the traditional neoprene throw the pads on the drum head uh, mutes. Okay. It was the actually thing, quieter. We, we did a side-by-side comparison. It was I didn't think it, they were going to be. I mean, you could wail the snare drum as hard as you possibly can, and it never got above that volume. Really? Which was, you could, no, I mean, you could you're, you're going it. in on this video. I can see. I mean, you're going full kind of rock yeah. and roll grooves. Now, the other thing that I really like is I think tonality-wise – we're pretty much in the ballpark of like a Remo silent stroke head or any of the mesh mm-hmm. heads, but that's such a massive process to replace your entire drum head. Yeah. Just so you can practice. So I exactly. think that because obviously I, I use at home, I have the Aquarian super pads. I've definitely used all of real feels products back in the, or the, um, HQ percussion, you know, just the right. rubber. Yeah. Beats. Um, but you don't get the the tone of the drum quite like this. But mm-hmm. I also wasn't willing to take off my heads because I, I actually do almost every day play my kit normal and play it with practice pads. Mm-hmm. So to be able to get a little bit of tone without having to change my drums seems really cool. Now, the question I have, well, first of all, this will definitely let you know what part of your hardware is rattling. I know you can hear the uh, bass drum pedal squeak. <laughs> I'm just saying like it's, it, it's just because your drums usually cover that up. right? <laughs> but <laughs> but what I, what I was going to say is... Do you find? Do you think these would be durable? I mean, I've been using them in lessons every week. Really? Um, okay. You know the 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 rubber the rubber hoop could possibly come if you're not if you're a little bit rough with it, it'll pull off of the the counter hoop on the head a little bit. So you just okay. kind of have to rework it back on like a like a tire or something on the right. bike. But uh, nothing has shown anywhere the dots if they get damp, um, they might come off. Okay. So that would be something to be aware of if you, you know, make sure to keep it dry. It kind of bubbled up on the bass drum a little bit because it got it got damp because I was carrying it, I think, in the rain or something like that. Just drinking a few beers while you're practicing. Yeah, just throwing it on my bass ah. drum. Uh, but yeah, I haven't noticed any. And the dots give you a little bit more attack than the mesh heads. Like if you don't hit the dot, it's almost silent. Oh, okay. So I, they're there for a reason. They're giving you the yeah. click. Ah. It gives you a little bit of sound instead of just being like a silent. Uh, so it's not so it's not as it's not a protective thing for that area it's more to give you some click or maybe a little yeah, bit probably both. both yeah i would think both yeah and no. that, so word of caution it doesn't die cast hoops i don't think it fits perfectly on and 
the kit that I'm teaching on is a, a pearl forum kit that has the the pearl suspension mount that kind of grabs mm-hmm. onto the, the hoop itself. That gets in the way of it working on the rack toms perfectly. I'm still able to kind of you know snap it onto the other tension rods and it stays in place, but occasionally it'll pop off if a kid hits a real hard rim shot. Gotcha. Uh, so you just have to you know just check out what you're going to use it on. Uh, and they make them um, drums as small as a ten and, and as big as a twenty four. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got it. It's cool. I, okay. I, I, like I said, I use it in lessons, and and I feel like the kids are actually getting sound out of the drums. Right. Quick question: Did you find yourself because um, as we were struggling to describe this product, uh, one, one thing you can't see is this hoop sits a, about an inch or maybe two inches off of the head. Uh, about or an the, inch, yeah. Yeah, about an inch. So did you change the level of your drums at all? Did you raise yeah. or did you lower them did, just to make it feel like normal? Yeah, the, I mean, the, yeah, the snare drum, everything had to kind of go down an, an inch, maybe three quarters okay. of an inch. Cool. Um, which isn't, you know, not a deal breaker. Uh, the bass drum has a little metal plate that you have to you have slide under the drum so that did kind of make me have to move the drum around a little bit but again like I said within a minute or two these things are, are on and you, they pull off like instantly so if you just want to yank them off it's right. a big deal and then uh, any idea um, I haven't looked up but any idea on the cost are they extremely expensive are they affordable uh, you know I don't know I didn't have the prices at the time well then I guess we'll just have to find <laughs> out uh, they they just they look really cool, and I think that they might be the answer for a lot of people that are looking to have that have that silent head, but also be able to play their drums extremely fast. Yeah, they they're not play. they're not they're not super cheap. Um, it looks like the fourteen is like fifty bucks. Okay, that's actually not bad. I mean, that's kind of maybe a little more than the norm, but you know, if you're going to buy. Let's say for your normal 14, I would probably put a ProLogix pad on or an Aquarian Super pad, and those are going to be in that high 30s to mid 40s. So yeah, yeah, it's not insane. So looks awesome. like you can get a full five piece kit for like 300 bucks. Cool. It depends on how much you practice, how much you need it. If I was, you know, an apartment drummer and just needed that, I'd, I'd go for it for sure. So yep. check out. Uh, you can just go to their website if you want. It's just R Tom literally rtom.com um and then you can also if you just check it on google you'll find a bunch of retailers that are carrying this stuff so awesome when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, buddy. Well, let's uh, dive into some listener questions. Let's knock some out. All right. So this one is coming from Alberto, um, and he's in Spain. So he has a question for you about the business part of being a drummer, specifically how you manage your tariffs to your clients. Do you have, um, I'm going to translate, he uses the word prizes, but I think he means prices. Do you have fixed prices um, or do you work for a percentage of earnings? Um, In a case where you work for fixed prices, how do you establish your price? Um, When you work for a percentage, do you establish a minimum that you will receive? And do you charge differently for gigs versus studio? So it sounds like he uh, was in a band that 
all of a sudden they started asking him to co- you know contribute to the cost of the band rather than him getting compensated for being in the band and that hmm. kind of brought up the idea of should I just be getting paid or should I be a part of this entity where I'm getting part of the risk every band is different it's it you know you have to find out one are you are you in the band um, I've definitely been in situations where I thought I was in the band and then it was made extremely clear that no no you're you are just playing drums you're not in the band when you're in the band and you start the band together i think it's very obvious and you know it's it's a shared cost it's a for my band it was a four-way split it was a four-way profit and there was nothing to ever discuss but then i've been in other situations where the lion's share of the creative work was done by one person and i wouldn't even feel comfortable getting the same split as that person i really was just showing up and playing my drums um so i can tell you this i'm i just started my trio uh i guess it's been a trio now for a month and we're going into the studio and I'm expecting, I haven't talked to the guys about it, but I'm expecting to pay the full cost of the mm. session because it's my band. I want the recordings. I'm going to use the recordings for drumless tracks for my clinics. So, uh, but I'm also not paying those guys for that session work cause we are doing it as a band. Um, I can't pay them when there's there's no money to be made in this situation. I'm not going to sell any of this. Um, yeah. If there was profit, then I would. And I, I don't know how I would handle it, honestly. I know in a gig situation, uh, it's going to be a three-way split because we practiced every night together as a unit. We wrote as a unit, and we're going to probably all contribute to booking shows like one the Mm. bass player knows the owner at this club and the guitar player knows the owner at this club and i know the the owner at that club uh so but if it was selling the music it's tough because i don't know how you feel about this mike but if i decided to sell man on the moon cds tomorrow i'm pretty sure that 98 percent of those sales are going to be driven by me not to be an ass but that's just where we are with social media and where it is comparatively between myself and the two bandmates um so do they deserve 33 percent of that um do they deserve a third of it i I don't know i haven't really thought of it yeah that's that's why lawyers have to usually get involved to figure out what is what is standard practice and what is you know I honestly, for me, just for my past, I would go with probably a 33% split or 33.3% split just to avoid any issues because right now the vibe is so good in the band. I would hate, you know, and like how many, how many fusion downloads are we going to (laughs) sell? Well, that's kind of the ultimate question and the irony of it. Like, you know, is there any, even any money to be made in doing it? Exactly. At least the the actual selling of the physical product or whatever. I mean, it's. It, it is really tough, and I, I'm kind of been on both sides of it. I'm in the middle of a bit of it right now of, of you know, what is my defined role? What do I want it to be? I'd, I tend to prefer just being, just buy me out, you know, just pay me per, per service, and, right. and it's your product. That way I don't have to come chasing you for royalties and things like that. I think you would also know the guaranteed hits and, you know, you might feel different if Beyonce came to you and needed you to do a track, and you're like, no, I'll just take two points on the album. Like, you're Beyonce. Yeah. I know you're going to sell two million of these. You couldn't, you know. Uh, so you're not going to do it for five hundred dollars per song, right? Yeah, but then chasing down those two points is probably going to not be worth <laughs> worth it in the long run. So just pay me five hundred, and that'll I'll consider it my two points. <laughs> Man, <you know? laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I, if I wrote the song, I think if you're writing the songs, right. that's a, then you're dealing with publishing, and and that's then you got to be really careful. But you know, I'm kind of. I'm, I don't know. I don't like the idea of 
if you're in the band, then now you're obligated to invest in the band. I I don't yeah. like that because I think that my time is an investment as well. And right. if at no point I'm being compensated for being in this band, and now I'm expected to pay for the band, yeah, I don't I don't see how that could ever really work out for my benefit. Knowing right. that you know the band's most likely not going to sell a million records. Yeah, I mean, Simon says my my first band, and obviously we had no experience as a band. We were it was all of our first bands. There were five members. There was four bandmates, and the band was the fifth member. So whatever we got paid, one fifth of it always just went to our band fund, and yeah. that's what paid for our merch to get done for the first time. And that's you know we always treated it as a five piece band, four members in one band, and split it up in fifths, twenty percent yeah. to everybody. It's I think it's that early stage when there is no money coming in, like yeah. who. Who pays for everything? Oh, yeah. It's called your parents. <laughs> we were 17. It's like, Mom, we're going to the studio. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah so I don't I, think we have an answer for him. I think you have to kind of figure out what is your investment. And, and like if if it was like in, in your case, if it was my band, if I was you know writing the material and gathering the, the band members together, then I would really be more conscious of all the, you know, who gets what. But right. if you're just joining a band and you're having fun and someone else is kind of the leader then i would just tend to just go just pay me you know here's my minimum that i need to get paid in order to give you a friday or saturday night and right and just kind of roll with it i mean it's it's really tough i mean i've certainly played a lot for free just out of good faith and not had it come back in right. the long run and it's or it's, seen you know like i definitely played on that record and i definitely haven't seen a cent from from the sales <laughs> i think it just every situation yeah. is unique you know yeah so it's all right really next question so we definitely did not answer that question nope. but i feel good about it. i feel like we got closer than the description of the art <laughs> it's a mesh head on a rubber tubing <laughs> that sits next to your drum but don't take off your head stop taking off your head it's fine but lift your bass drum. all right this is coming from kyle this has been here for a while so my apologies for a delay um i'm really interested in getting a set of the Pisces 602 modern essentials mm. Um, I love the sound of them on the website, <clears throat> but not sure you know what they did with that recording to make it sound like that. So, do you have any experience with these, um, and are they worth the extra bucks? Um, mm. Because a set of them is the price of a high end drum set. I've played them. Uh, I think they were the ones that that Vinny kind of was demoing at Nam a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous, beautiful cymbals. Um, from my experience, what you're hearing on the recording is all likelihood exactly how they sound because Pisces cymbals sound like they're mixed right, you know, in the room. That's what they do, yeah. Um, so, but is it worth the price? That's that's totally up to what you think is worth. Um, they are great cymbals. I think they will last you your lifetime. But you know, is it worth the money? That's your call. I'm with you. It, it's. I can tell you this as a Pisces artist for 12 or 13 years. The recordings that they did were extremely honest. I think most companies go for that because they just know they'd get called out so hard uh, online. Yeah. If, if you could hear reverb and tons of compression, they, you know, it'd just be too obvious. And it's not going to help yeah. sell their product. You're going to return it because it's not going to sound the way it sounded. So I would say they do sound like that. And as far as the the worth, it just comes down to what you value. You know, I. The other thing is, don't think that you have to get a full set. You could always start with what you play the most. Get just a set yeah. of the hi hats, and then yeah. a year later, save up for a crash. You know, and and you can you can piece it together over time. All right, we got one from Micah here. Um, I don't have an answer for him. It's going to be the non-answer answer session. <laughs> 
I'm wondering if you guys have any suggestions for exercises to do with your weaker hand. I'm not referring to stick exercises. I know lots of those. I'm talking about things you can do for your weaker hand or hands in general away from sticks or the kit. Mm. I used to do that. I mean, you, you, probably every drummer has gone through that process of my left hand sucks. I'm going to brush my teeth with my left hand. But eat with in my, my case, hand, yeah. I'm I'm not ambidextrous. I'm all mixed up. I do things naturally with either with opposite hands. So right. I can't say that I spent a whole lot of time brushing my teeth with my left hand because I already did that. Right. <laughs> but I'm I write with my right hand. It's you know the hand thing's a funny thing because if you think about it, um, especially for somebody that's extremely non ambidextrous like myself, um, your arms are fine. I, I don't curl like a forty with my right arm and a fifteen with my left. Yeah, right. Never it's just about from that. the wrist down. You know, it's just <laughs> I don't use the dexterity of it. So it does come down to having one of those uh, squishy balls or the grip strengthener um, in your left hand a lot and just building up the muscles because it's not getting used as much Um, and just trying to be a little more left hand dominant in your life you know I try to when I'm reaching for a door I try to reach with my left hand Uh, when I Mm. wave to somebody I always try to wave left handed Uh, the other thing too is I know you said that you're not looking for specific sticking exercises but you kind of are because why do you think your right hand is doing so well right now it's the in your basic rock beat, you have an, a four to one ratio, four hits on the hi hat for every snare drum, um, and you're probably hitting your snare, you know, like a caveman, like we all do, like crack, <laughs> yeah, and then you're putting them all wide open, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you're just like giving all this love and attention to the hi hat. So honestly, I I always have like a couple songs that I play a left hand lead uh, that aren't, aren't technical songs, but I'll play like My Own Summer by the Deftones, uh, I'll play Running Down a Dream by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and I just play left hand lead. And I try to get as much work into that left hand as possible. So Yeah. I mean, if he doesn't want sticking exercises, but a sticking exercise that I know worked for me was one that Ed Shaughnessy used to teach. It's you know, one right, three lefts, do that 500 times. Two rights, four lefts, do that 100 times. Three rights, six lefts, do that 100 times. Three rights, nine lefts, do that 100 times. It's like a 10, 15-minute routine where you're... <laughs> You know, you're, you're gonna be doing so many more left-hand strokes right. Than, than right, and it, it worked. I mean, I did that a lot, uh, like through high school, and I feel like that helped me balance it out. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, that's what it comes down to. I, for me, my my balancing thing was more of a lead thing instead of a physical thing. Meaning that I would always take Latin rhythms and Cuban rhythms, and I would just play them left-hand lead and ghost in between. So if you're going around the kit playing it, um, I'm not even gonna try to say it the right way but uh, a cascara pattern because i don't want to say cascara um <laughs> but if you're going around the kit playing that left hand lead and you're really leaning into that left side of your body and it's and you're thinking i am leading with my left hand that really helps too so uh yeah. so for all of your non-sticking exercises there's there's like four for you <laughs> he's like i'm not talking about that i've got like a hundred of those just tell me what i could it's like ah just go pick something up but i i i have used those uh uh grip strengtheners uh and i just keep in my left hand squeezing them so all right you got do we have time for one more yeah this uh, yeah let's do one more you might you might have an answer for this one um this comes from again another one we probably don't have an answer for simon um he's looking to get new in-ear monitors okay um, the problem is I play in church a lot, and it's on the softer side, so I need a monitor that will protect my ears but also let in some of the room sound. Mm, okay. uh, so if, if I can't hear the room sound and the feel of the room, he gets you know uncomfortable. But Sure. 
but at the same time, I don't want to hurt my ears. Do Does Ultimate Ears offer a filter yes. of some kind? They do indeed. Uh, okay. Yeah. Is so, it an ear plug or is it an in-ear? It's an in-ear monitor, um, and it just has a um, – it's it's – pretty much just got like as far as i know it's just got like whole like very tiny holes drilled into one of the ears that's just an option mm. you can have when you're putting in your order do you i think oh, they just call okay. it ambient noise do you want ambient noise or not um so the one i'm wearing right now is completely sealed but then you could have just maybe your right ear or your left ear would have <clears throat> um, the ambient filter built in and then it just lets in the outside noise it's funny i, I we just had somebody on the mike's lessons family i don't know if you saw the quote but they just got their first set of in-ears and they kind of freaked out they were like i am so disconnected from the band i feel like i'm all by myself <laughs> it's like yeah yeah it's a problem i mean I, i've had to wean myself off of in-ear monitor practice only because I was having real trouble in clinics when I wasn't wearing my in-ears and I was playing a solo. It's like, God, these drums are so responsive and loud and Yeah, loud. You know. Yeah. I just yeah, so you can feel a little isolated with in-ears. So I, I like the uh the ultimate ear with the ambient filter built in. And I would probably just do it on one ear maybe. Um and and they still offer great ear protection. And I think they'll even tell you on the website if you have it. Normal, it's going to be 32 dB noise reduction, and if you have it with the ambient filter, it's this much. So it's it's not like it's not wearing them at all. Um, I just yeah. can't remember what it is. I know a lot of guys who just set up a an ambient room mic, so oh, like they'll sure. have it behind the drum set. That's what I do for my clinics. Yeah, it makes in a little bit, so at least you feel like you're hearing what you would normally be hearing. Yeah, that or might be a workaround if you don't. Is want there, to get new. Yeah, is there is there laughter in the room? Is there, oh, yeah. uh, you know, what's going on? Because you can feel extremely isolated with custom molded in ears. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for this this week. We've got a few more. We have got a bunch of uh, audio questions to get in in the next really? episodes. So, yep. Keep them coming in. I like to have a, if we can get a whole audio listener questions for next week. That'd be yeah, awesome. I would so love MD, that. MD info at moderndrummer.com. All right. Well, it's time to get to our picks of the week. So, Mike, I will let you go first this time while I dig up the information for mine. You mean while you find one? Shut up. (laughs) You're a a bad man. (laughs) I've got it right here. So this was actually going to be my pick of the week last week until until, uh, Mickey Roker passed away, unfortunately. But um, I've been a pretty big fan of the Tim Ferriss podcasts for for several years. Um, at times, I kind of go away from it because each episode of his podcast is like you can spend a month kind of dissecting it. Um, if you're not familiar with Tim, he essentially sits down with high achievers and all kinds of different disciplines and tries to figure out, crack the code. Why are you a high achiever? What do you do in your life and your daily routine? Or what's your philosophies and so on and so forth? Um, and he also, as a side note, he he had a I think it was an iTunes TV show where he was trying to learn how to do really challenging tasks in a short amount of time he did I remember that yeah yep yeah he took like drum lessons with Stuart Copeland and then I believe he played with Foreigner he did a song yeah with I remember that yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was crazy pretty awesome so he's he's no joke but he there's there's one particular episode where he sits down with Jocko Willink who is a retired Navy SEAL I know exactly who he is yeah yeah he is scary and amazing all at the same time so i think he, jocko even has his own podcast too yeah after he did tim's he decided to start his own and it's been a number one podcast so this guy is like a full-on overachiever you know there is no challenge too great uh, and i like his particular episodes because it's such the opposite of a drubber creative type person he's basically okay. talking about how being a disciplined 
military style person has made him more successful. Mm. It's okay. freed up his life to be, you know, have more enjoyment because he gets up every day and works out really hard. And then that's done four thirty in the morning. He's done working out. Uh, but I think it relates. It kind of, I'm able to grab bits of that. Like, no, I don't want to be a Navy SEAL, but this guy's really enjoying his life and he's, you know, making no sacrifices. Like he's right. But he's also disciplined as hell. So I think just kind of getting a glimpse of the intensity of what a human being can be and can do and, and then saying, well, what am I doing that I could maybe just step it up a little bit? I mean, you don't want to go, you know, pull you know, run in 10 miles instantly because Jocko is doing that. But right. I just find him really inspiring. He's also, he's also, he's written books and stuff. So he's also a very creative person, but you know, I just found him extremely inspiring. Jocko Willink, the Tim Ferriss podcast. And if you want to go deeper into his, his podcast is more about like war. It's kind of heavy about war. Right. Also cool, but that's, you know, at times <laughs> it's, you know, kind of gory and bloody, but sure. Intense. But yeah, he's, it's, he's inspiring. Um, so yeah, the Jocko Willink episode, Tim Ferriss podcast. Boom. Check it out. Um, all right, my pick of the week. I've mentioned this before, but they've kind of stepped up their game a little bit, so I want to bring it back into your guys' mind, which is uh, a service called Curiosity Stream. So Curiosity Stream, think of it as Netflix for your brain. Uh, it's very similar to Netflix, but it's only informative uh, content. So you can... It used to be very space heavy, which is why I got into it in the first place. But now it's over 1,500 shows on science, history, tech, nature, uh, nutrition. So it's a really great resource to have if if you kind of say, okay, I want to learn more about JFK, but I don't want to wait for the next show to come on TV. And then is it even a good one? You could just go there. And if you wanted to learn more about what we're trying to do to get to Mars or what the future is going to be like. You can watch Next World with Michio Kaku. Uh, even our boy uh, Lou Montuli has a, a small role on one of their things. It's called Digits, Man versus Machine. And uh, you can see Lou Montuli and the role he played in kind of creating the what we now call our Internet. So, And you can learn about the Bronze Age. It's just a, an amazing place to – if you're going to veg out, my thing is this. If I'm going to veg out, I still want to somehow – get a little something mm. in. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, and dude, it's 2.99 a month. And it's all now, are in they, Are yeah, they collating content or is this all original content that they're Most creating? of it's actually original content. Um cool. so it's not like, oh, I already saw that on the Discovery Channel or I already yeah. saw that on the History Channel. It's like most of it's, you know, original content and they do get a lot of older content too, but just like Netflix it'll say 2011 um sometimes Mm -hmm. it's fun if i can find something from 98 about the universe i love watching it because i'm like oh (laughs) we were so wrong but in 98 that's what we thought because our we didn't you know we hadn't launched our our newest telescopes yet but anyways (laughs) it's a fantastic channel and it'll um it'll sync to multiple devices so i'll be watching it on my phone and then when i get home i just open my ipad and it's got me right where i was so definitely check it out and then they add new stuff all the time so curiositystream.com and like i said you could start you can do a free trial of it right now and i would definitely recommend doing it you'll find so much and it'll take your vegetation time on the couch to um, kind of like oh okay this is interesting and i'm learning something so 
I know what happened to me. I'd be like, yeah, I want to check this out, and I'd be asleep in 30 seconds. Just, yeah, that's what I use it for. Yeah, it's, <laughs> most of these people are brilliant, but they can't, hold, they can't keep your attention on camera. It's great, and they're like, as we venture into the deep darkness of space, we find... <laughs> yeah, I'm out. <laughs> it's beautiful. All right, guys, so you got lots of stuff to check out. Go tune some toms, and then next week, episode 96, we will give you all the details of what you need to know about our 100th episode giveaway. We have some really cool stuff to give to you guys, so we're really excited about that. Brother yep, Mike, indeed. have a good day, man. Likewise, apologize for rambling and not being able to describe the art time very well. <laughs> Is it going to stick with you? <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I was trying to hold it together, oh and it was just like I'm like, don't need some so carrots. Vague. What's going on with my brain? <laughs> Did he not take his ginkgo biloba today? This is so vague. I need a vacation. All, All right. right, let's get out of here. All right, peace. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.